0: All right. well we've now arrived back to John chapter 15 and we will now take to continuing where pastor Jason left off and we will look at now verses 8 through 11 upon this when I'm going to read the scripture here I want to read all of it in context especially As I want to show now this whole thought being bridged together as one particular piece. It read, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that, My joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full Amen, let's now go to the Lord our God in prayer Father we do thank you on this sabbath day that you have given us lord mindful (coughs) that our faculties Are intact and we are able-bodied to be here today to give glory to your son And of this lord this joy that the master is speaking of May it be a show to the people that this joy is a tangible joy that they too can achieve. And I wish, Lord, as we take to the sermon today, be with thy servant as he feed and teach your sheep. But be with them and give them a childlike love, a willing mind to hear and see that when the truth is spoken it is as if it's come from your very mouth. It's in Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, <clears throat> again, I want to take the whole piece so that we may see what the Master is stating, especially by verse number 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, because of the first six verses, as you have saw and noted, the analogy that the Master and the Father is in harmony and is simpatico. For in their union, it is very, very important to see how our Master shows the Father's hand in his life it is well noted if you remember or recall John 14 verse 10 do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me the words that I have say to you I do not speak of my own initiative but the Father abiding in me does his works believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me we then as individuals Can take to heart what our Master is saying. And it abides to both special individuals and also ordinary saints, as we are told to abide in Him. John 15, 4 through 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, by verse 6 and 7, we actually adding another nugget to this. There is a juxtaposition. Note the clauses here. By verse 6, if we do not abide in him, as he states, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them up, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. On the contrary, by verse number seven, if we do abide in him, my words also abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So, now that we've come to these first seven verses, verse eight now allows us to segue this in particular. For example, in chapter 14, the master makes very good evidence very no by his propositions he is one with the father of which though by chapter 15 he starts with this premise he now shows a transition of our oneness with him how is it so it's because by verse number eight it reads my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit So prove to be my disciples. Oh, it is such a honor. And I mean this with so much gratitude and so much conviction. It is such an honor when you're able to see the father's hand in the workings of your life. I cannot stress that enough. The humanist takes to... Sully arguments, such as chance, and as fate would have it. No, that is not the case. No one is lucky. Just because you decided one day you want to wear red socks, and then the next day you want to wear blue socks, or you want to buy some socks that have little fuzzy animals on it, or you want to go ahead and wear slippers, that was not by chance. All that with conviction came because the father deemed it to be so. Something as simple as that If you want to cut your hair short if you want to keep your hair long that was not something of a small Whims as they also like to include No, the father deemed it to be so This is in great honor to see this thought process in your life And it's interesting because many times throughout scripture we can see humans frailty of mind and their lack to want to do his will but no matter what we want to think the hand of god and what he has planned will always come into existence now let's build on this foundation because it is very important and how it's going to allow us to understand properly verse number eight as we also get to the later parts of this chapter his will will be done and it will be operated at his own good pleasure. In fact, in fact, the Jews who were so confused and dumbfounded trying to figure out when the Messiah will come, Paul makes it very clear. The mystery of the will was revealed when we saw or when they saw the Messiah. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10 says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in christ things in heaven and things on earth now here's a ten dollar word because i know we still have Individuals who are still being homeschooled but add this to your vernacular. This is not Conjuncture now conjuncture can be used in two facets. It can be seen as a noun or it can be seen as a verb And it means if it's seen as a noun an opinion or conclusion formed on the basis of a of incomplete information or by verb to form an opinion or supposition about something on the basis of incomplete information I can assure you The understanding concept of seeing God's hand at work is not conjuncture. It is a complete and utter thought process. But you know what? What happens is, is when you start seeing the Bible and start thinking that this was written by men and not by God. Well, yes, I could understand why you think this is conjuncture. I mean, with Genesis from the beginning, they cannot believe that something came from nothing. How hard is that? Very difficult. Because if I can't touch something, well, why should I prove that it exists? Oh, I feel bad for you. Now, to continue. and speaking things into existence, as he showed what he created, the heavens and earth. By Genesis 1, 3, 6, 9, 14, 20, 24, and 26. I did not want to read it, but just give you this little tidbit in case you want to rewatch the sermon again. He then spoke the intricities, another $10 word, but he spoke the intricities of the world into being. All of it being spoken of. Every single jittle and tot was good to his own pleasure. But there's the trap. And as I spoke to you before, in iterating the humanist thought, there is the trap. And the apostles also forewarned us not to fall into it. All glory belongs to God in the workings of life, and it should not be taken lightly. Apostle Paul stated by Romans 1:25, for they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. But then by Acts 17, as Paul was walking and waiting in Athens. And observing the city full of idols, the Epicureans and the stoic philosophers was trying to converse with them as he was teaching Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. So then by verse 22 and 23 of Acts 17, Paul stood amongst them and said, Man of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Beloved, to seek that the Father is glorified was the object of the Son, and if we are to abide in him, the Master noted to the apostles, and as it is to us, that is our objective as well. And note the latter clause. My father is glorified by this. Upon you abiding in the Christ and being that vine that he is in the branches that we are, we are to bear and show fruit that we do abide and cleave to him. Now, in your Bibles, depending what iteration you may have, the... New American Standard ESV states by the la- last clause in chapter at uh, verse 8 that you approve to be my disciples And if you read from the KGV or the Geneva, you will note that so you will be my disciples It is much the same because here the master is showing how his disciples whether special or ordinary glorify the Father by and this is where the important aspect of the bearing the fruit by their repentance and obedience to which they are compelled from by the spirit. Note, as the master spoke in verse number four, abide in me and I in you. Paul stated that how we are joined to him by our death. To the law. Romans 7 verse 4. Therefore my brethren. You are also made to die to the law. Through the body of Christ. So that you might be joined to another. To him who also was raised from the dead. In order that we may. Bear fruit. For God. Now upon this fruit that we bear. You will also see as I noted earlier. The father's head and how it moves. So f- now you will note. How. How. From the former, these attitudes are now intricated and placed in your mindset and how you behave. You will now know how to love, how to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For against, for against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But then there's also a counter. There is a counter to this. You see, there are those who want to be moved by their own wants. Whether it is sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, or jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy,ness. You know, these individuals who do the counter they have a hard time to see what the master states as either being his disciples or showing proof to yourself that you even are one. But if there's any time, even us as individuals who believe that we're moved by the spirit, if we find ourselves to do what's counterproductive to the spirit, we are to run to Christ. And that is the aspects of bearing fruit. The initial sight of seeing his hand in our life forces us to note how frail we actually are. And in being our frailty, our objective is to run back to him. Again, this isn't conjuncture. When we mean you bear fruit, you will see the actions of your own behavior. And how prevalent is it to see that when you are doing what's stated in the word, that your faith will grow. I mean, when we repent, let alone when one does, the angels, the scripture states, rejoice over one person who repents. The master stated by Luke 15, seven through 10, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents Then over 99, just people who need no repentance. And he continues on with a parable. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors and together say, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. The master concludes, likewise, I say to you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, some people in their prayers to God disregard repentance because they presume and not purport. So there's a difference between the two. That is just the act of entering the kingdom. But our confession states that's actually the contrary for it said there's additional works that's understood with repentance by chapter 18 and section 5 our confession states man ought to not content themselves with a general repentance but it's every man's duty every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his or her sins particular sins particularly by psalms 19 13 it states also keep back your servant for presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be shameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. And now the harmony to the new. First Timothy one fifteen. This is a faithful and worthy of all acceptance. A saying that goes that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. All this culminating. By Verses 9 and 10 and that we are being his disciples proving in some iterations to be his disciples the love he has for us is emanated Because he's showing the example of the love the father has for him Now your Bibles may be bracketing verses 1 through 8 and verses 9 through 10 some of your Bibles might be bracketing verses 1 through 11 And some may have 11 through 17 as a separate bracket But for this particular sermon, I'm transitioning to verse 9 and 10 as one particular bracket With verses 11 being the culmination And when Pastor Jason returns, he may even show how verse 11 can be a bridge between 1 through 10 And also 12 through 17 But as we now segue to verses (laughs) as we segue to verses 9 through 10, we see that by abiding in the master's love, again, I state, we will receive and recuperate on the father's love that he has for the son. For our master denoted in chapter 14 again, here now by verse number seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. By here, by verses 9 and 10 in chapter 15, the example of the love the father has towards the son, as the son is now emanating towards the disciples, is not without two caveats. For one, he notes by the latter clause in verse number nine, abide in my love. And then by verse number 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I Have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love The son obedience to the father's command is absolutely perfect. He was the only one who was is And forevermore was able to keep the commandments even to the point of death Philippians 2 verse 8 being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by Becoming obedient to the point of death even on a cross. Yet he conveyed that the, mass, the father's love is extended towards by obedience. And the obedience conveyed to here is by the commandments. So then by good and necessary deduction, those commandments are in unison and harmony. Now what commandments could he be speaking of? We understand very well the Mosaic law. We understand the facets of it, whether it's civil, moral, or ceremonial. But those laws had special dispensations, which means it had a certain time or period it was supposed to be enacted. But those laws were not nullified. They came from the word of God. They came from his mouth. So how is it so... That such commandments he's asking us to keep. This is why the master showed in keeping his father's commands. He did it so that we will understand what obedience truly is. Because we are not perfect. Not one aspect of our lives do we not think or want to change. The master in and of himself saw that, in fact, it was determined before the foundation of the world to fill in the gaps that are left in our own lives. And so when it comes to the law of God, though there are special dispensations, the general equity of what that law meant it still applies today and it is expected of us that we are still bound to it now you might be wondering why this aspect of bringing up obedience and general equity of the law why am I bringing this aspect with verses 9 through 10 I mean I've noted and I've seen that many commentaries will look at these verses and they want to trek to some sort of abstract understanding of the law of God but they refuse to To place the weight on what the Messiah is talking about by verse number eight he tells you the fathers glorify when you bear fruit do they know what it means to bear fruit maybe it's because they went to the back of their home and found out that the apple tree that was there for the past ten years started to bear fruit They can see it, it's tangible, right? The same thing is expected of us. But what does that fruit look like? That's what they have a hard time answering. The fruit, again, is the expectation of a believer who's repentant and obedient. And I want to make this phrase very important because in your repentance, in your obedience, I want you to understand it has an end goal. Through that aspect of the walk of Christianity in your life, you're working towards a goal. And the term perseverance is not taken lightly. Anytime you come through some sort of hardship, you find yourself in an obstacle, a hurdle of some sort. How do you move forward from it? Maybe you think your own human will can push you over the, over the, the, the goal. But the Messiah has told you, if you, if you, if you're not abiding in me, you're nothing. He said it earlier. And note what he's trying to explain now. Is that I have a love from the father. It's tangible. And I love you. That's also tangible. So when you go through in moments of life, you should be able to tangibly see and understand that it is, yes, the master's love is on my life. And if it is, it is by his hand can I persevere through anything that happens. The master tells us plainly, abide in my love, and how to abide in my love is keeping my commandments. We have failed to do so. So does this mean we can't take in the love of God? Well, the higher critical scholar, a skeptic, or the antinomian Christian will say, "Huh, we have a schism. But I can tell you, there is no schism. For by paying attention to what I've explained, you can note here, as I was putting it, and the master even said it Eloquently, just as I kept my father's commandments and abided his love He loved me and I also loved you If you're moved by the Spirit you will see that love for us You will see the oneness he has with us and what it means for us to be attached to his love. I Brought to you Philippians 2 8. I now will continue to verse number 9 for this reason, also, because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. I brought to you Romans 7 verse 4. Now let's continue on to verse 5 and 6. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at the work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So you can see fruit that is bared if you are a humanist. You can convince yourself, yes, I do not believe I'm a Christian. But the spirit counterproducts and overcomes our wants. For now, by verse number six, we have been released from the law because we have died to that which we were bounded to so that we can now serve a newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter calvin noted it well and i'm gonna read verbatim it's actually interesting because i haven't had a calvin note in quite some time but i want to note here what he's speaking because i think he speaks to it well we ought therefore to cast our eyes on christ in whom will be found the testimony and pledges of the love of God. For the love of God was fully poured on Christ, and that from him it flows then to his members. He is distinguished by the title, Beloved Son, in whom the will of the Father is satisfied. We ought then to observe to the end, which is that God may accept us in him then when we contemplate in him as in a mirror, God's paternal love towards us is also for he has not loved apart for his own private advantage, but that he might unite us. Christ might unite us with him to the father. Christ continues here. Christ points us out to the method of perseverance. Calvin stating here again. For these two things are continually united, that faith which precedes the undeserved love of Christ towards us and a good conscience and newness of life. Christ does not reconcile believers to the Father that they might indulge in wickedness without reserve and without punishment, but that governing them by his Spirit, he may keep them under the authority and dominion of his Father. For hence it follows that the love of Christ is rejected by those who do not prove to be his disciples, because they do not prove it by true obedience. If anyone objects and do not see the workings that it is necessary and how to bear the fruit and what that fruit is tangible to the workings of their life, they think that the security depends on their own salvation but note here what Calvin states. If anyone objects to that, and this is the case, then their security or their salvation depends on themselves. I apply or reply, this is wrong, because you do not understand the meaning of Christ's words. And this is what he means. For the obedience which believers render him is not the cause why he continues love towards us, but rather the effect. Of his love. It's tangible. It's not conjuncture. It is seen by the working of his hand. And this is what he was trying to reassure them when he was trying to calm their hearts in chapter 14. Yes, physically, I'm away from you, but by my spirit, I will always be with you. And because you can see my hand in your life, your faith should grow and you should have confidence that I am with you. So what does this all cumulate to? What, where is this all coming to? The master speaks of a joy, his joy, of a true obedience. Calvin states that this joy is a blessed piece of consciousness. And think about it. When you repent of your sins, is there not a burden Whether it's a cloud of doubt, whether it's guilt, fear, or unsettleness that moves away from you and you feel free, like a child who found a new toy, or an individual who reached a goal, or better yet, and I'm not too sure who will be watching this on the telecast, but someone who's been freed from imprisonment. That is a joy that comes from one who's had their burdens lifted. And the master being the author of our faith, he measures our faith in different times of our lives. At times it could be shaken and weakened, but at other times it will be strengthened. All the while, all the while, your faith is being measured. And all we care about is if we're going to make it to the next day. If we're going to be able to do what we plan to X amount of days from now. But sometimes we need to take a minute to see how God's hand have moved through our lives and reflect on it because then if you see it, your faith will grow. And as you move on to the next day, God willing, because tomorrow's not guaranteed, but as you move on to the next day, you will see again in the past, what he's done, but then in the future, how you've been further blessed. No matter what goal or individual feat you've achieved, to say that it's the hand of God at work, that is an honor. And the joy again that the master is speaking of makes then our trials of our lives so minuscule because no longer does it seem abstract or conjunctural but it's also now tangible because you are free from the law because of his love as the father first loved the son so to conclude I want to use the message because as always there was a message given to the Apostles now what's the message to us and I think Paul states it well. If you like, and I actually saved time for this. If you like, you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians 1, 3 through 15. And now note the adverbs, the verbs, the adjectives, the key words in regards to God's love, not only for his son, but then the son showing how it's then recuperated and overflowed onto us. It reads, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight. That's love there. In all wisdom, and all insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on the earth, in him, in Christ we also have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were first to hope in christ would be to the praise of his glory public paul concludes then in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I don't want to interject on that because after everything I took you through with verses 8 through 11, the culmination is stated right there. If you don't believe me, read it again yourself. And note the intricacies that was stated in that Paulinean theology. He showed how Christ is one with the father, And how then the son is one with us and by the pledge that is the Holy Spirit, we are attached as branches to the vine. All this is tangible. I'm not saying you're going to feel the spirit when it's coming, but you'll know a difference in your life by a change of attitude, by a change of what you want to do in life. How you see life, how you speak, how you move about, who you hang out with, what you do, how you spend your money here, how you spend your time. All of it is tangible. For a lot of people, they can't see it. And that's the sad part. I'm telling you, you can see the hand of God in your life. And for some who may feel that their faith is as small as a mustard seed, that's okay, because the Messiah speaks of it well. There are those who do believe, and there's those who don't. And the honor that comes with believing is not of your own self. It's as Paul was showing here, you were given the Holy Spirit and was made a pledge to move your attitude and mindset just by an inch to see his hand in your life. So how is it that now, taking into account, we're gonna go back into the world and move? Would you consider when the next day will come? Thankful that God woke you up that morning. A small victory, but a victory nonetheless, because some people do not wake up. Times like these, moments like this, allows us to think about everything we've been afforded. For some of us, we may have more resources than others, but you don't realize in the small resources that you have, just the fact that you're able to walk, speak, have your sensory organs intact. There's other individuals who do not have this liberty and or caveat. And we take it for granted. I know I have. I'm no better. But why can I say these things? Because it makes me run back and realize and be thankful for what I've been given. What little I have, especially learning how to be an employer, I do what I can. This is the next aspect in my life with God. But then how about you? When you go to work, do you want to pillage your employer because you have a gripe against him? Or do you want to do well so that he said, thank you, my good and faithful servant. And he gives you more because he entrusted you. You never know. God's hand is at work. He moves the kings as he wishes. And it's very hard for us to see that. Very hard. But I understand. All those trials and tribulations were for our own good if we believe. It's very hard to say this. This is a very rough teaching because a lot of times it's very hard to look at the mirror. But I understand. I empathize with you. I'm human as well. That's why I said the apostles, sometimes they think they're not human. But yes, they were human. But that's why they spoke the way they spoke. And they empathize the way they empathize. And they were moved as special individuals because the Spirit allowed them to because they needed to move the church in the direction that God's hand wanted it to go. So I can assure you, when you move out throughout this week, no matter what you do, no matter how you come upon things in life, think about that. If it's a good thing, if if you consider it to be a bad thing, it's okay. Think about God's hand at work. What is he teaching me? What is he showing me? And if you can even come to the concept that it is God's hand at work, then you see his love. It's tangible. I can assure you it is tangible and upon that, the joy that comes with it, huh, the joy is tangible too. This is not an abstract thought. The joy is tangible because now your burden has been lifted. It's amaz- amazes me because if captain was here, He would have probably did just one sermon on chapter uh, verse number eight. (laughs) And then verses nine through 10 will have its own sermon. And then maybe he might do a summary. Verses one through 11. So we want to make him proud. But nonetheless, he's up in glory. He's not too concerned about what's transpiring here. But the difference in the aspect of how he would have thought about. Well, knowing him. In the aspects of how he would have thought about us in regards to seeing it the work of God's hand he always saw it in his life He spoke to it Countless times when I spoke with him He always saw God's hand in his life and he even saw God's hand in other individuals lives and he would tell them to their face God might be doing something here. No, 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 no. He's not. Okay Then three weeks later. Yeah, I I think a God's telling me something. Oh really? Now what is he telling you? Beloved, I can assure you, your attitude is going to change. Your actions are gonna change. Your wants, your needs, the way you move about life is gonna change. Because you wanna show that love for God. And you must take a great honor. I mean, I mean it, a great honor. To understand his hand in your life. Let's pray.